Hey, uh, I want to welcome you guys to Revive. Uh, if it is your first time, my name is Logan Evans. I have the privilege of serving as the college pastor at Christ Place Church. If you've never been to Revive before, Revive is simply a college ministry of Christ Place Church. Uh, we are one church in multiple locations. Many of you guys attend Christ's Place, and if you don't, that's totally fine. We are so, so happy that you're here. You're welcome to be a part in any way, at any time. We're so, so grateful for you. But this is just a little thing that we love to do on Thursday nights for our Christ Place people, for the community uh, of college students that we have up here in North Georgia. And let me tell you something. I don't know if you guys feel this, uh, and maybe I'm just biased, but I really don't think that that's the case. The Lord is doing something here on this campus, uh, in the surrounding campus. Like, he's doing something through this ministry. Are y'all, like, do y'all feel that too? Is that just me? Like, we have, we have seen this thing go, like, I, I've, been, I've been leading Revive now since spring of 21, I believe. And when I started, like, the people in this room did not go, Logan, raise your hand. They, like, did not go past him. Like, that was the crowd. Now, we're like making rows. We're, we're, people are sitting on the floor. Like the Lord is moving in such an incredible way. And I don't know about you, but I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. And, and if this is your first night and you're like, man, this dude is just really passionate, I really am. And I hope that you would see how the Lord is moving and that you would make the decision like, yeah, this is something that I need to be a part of too. This is a movement that I want to join because the Lord is doing incredible things. But enough of that. I want to jump into uh, our time together in the Word tonight. We've been walking through a series called When in Doubt, and this is week three of three. This is our final week in this series. Uh, we have been walking through this series uh, and really looking at some, some big doubts that specifically students uh, around y'all's age face uh, in their life. I, we read a study that one of the most common like problems when it comes to uh, your, your relationship with the Lord around the, the time of your life as a college student is doubt. And so we've been kind of exploring some big doubts that, that typically arise in the lives of college students. Week one, we looked at, is God's plan really the best plan? Uh, last week, did y'all enjoy last week? My friend Luke? Yeah, that dude is the man. Uh, so Luke last week, he talked about uh, the question, is God really good? And uh, you guys looked at the, the doubt of, I mean, it's easy to doubt God's goodness when life gets hard. Well, tonight, we're, we're asking a different question. And that question is this, am I really saved? Am I really saved? This is, this is a, maybe one of the most common areas in your life to doubt when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, this was something that was like a huge part of my story. Uh, so I, I grew up in church. Like from the time I left the hospital as a baby, like I was in church and, and my parents made sure of that. And, and I remember when I was about four years old, sitting in the back row, one of the, one of the rows towards the back of the church, and I hadn't been paying much attention to just about anything that went on. And uh, I, I remember one thing very specifically. I remember our pastor saying something along the lines of, if, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer. And if, if you would, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And if you pray that prayer, I want you to come down front and talk to one of these men that will be standing by the stage. Well, my four-year-old self heard, 
this seat's kind of uncomfortable. This is a, like, I could get up and, and do something. So may as well. So I, I prayed that prayer alongside of our pastor. I elbowed my mom. I said, mom, I just prayed that prayer. She's the happiest woman on earth. Her four-year-old son's like, mother, I have received the gospel. I had no idea what I was doing. So I'm like, I walk down the, the aisle, I go and meet this guy who like just gives me a random test, and I'm like, I don't know why, but again, I had grown up in church, so I knew the answers, and then the craziest thing happened. This was a church where, I don't know how, what kind of church you guys grew up in, but when people made decisions in, in this church that I grew up in, they would like bring them in front of the entire congregation, and this was a big church. They would bring them in front of the entire congregation and share with the congregation about the decision that they made. So I got to go on stage in front of the whole church. And I'm talking, I was like cloud nine. It was the greatest experience ever, but it didn't stop there. After that, I got to go in a secret room where they, they talked to all the different people who made decisions. And uh, they started telling me about baptism. That's my next step. I get to get baptized. I didn't know what that meant either. I just thought it was awesome that there was a pool in the church, right? And so I'm like, like this is the best decision I have ever made. I'm going to do it every single week. I had no idea what was going on. However, that was like, I mean, that's, that's a huge, huge decision. And what would kind of be the result of that is that it would start a cycle of going through the motions of salvation over and over and over again because of doubt. Because I would get in this, in this cycle, and I'll, I'll talk more about it, but I'd get in this cycle of going, okay, I, I got to get saved. I need to do this again. And then it wouldn't be too much longer that I'm like, all right, I don't know like, where I stand. I don't know if I, if I really meant it. And that cycle is such a problem because this is literally the most important decision you can ever make. And, and I truly believe that God's word tells us that we can have assurance of our salvation. Like we don't have to be in a place where we're going, uh, man, did I really mean it? Did I, like, was I serious enough about it? Like I believe that tonight you can walk out of this room with assurance as to whether or not you have saving faith in Jesus. And so if that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, I can think of no better place to go than the book of 1 Peter. If you guys would grab your Bible, turn to the book of 1 Peter tonight. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. The reason that I think this is a great place for us to study tonight as we talk about uh, the doubt as to whether or not you're saved, assurance of salvation, is because that's really what the first chapter of 1 Peter is all about. In this, uh, in this letter that Peter is writing to believers, he, he basically is trying to strengthen them as they face persecution for their faith. But the way that he does that is he talks to them about their salvation. He, he tries to draw them back to the status that they now have as followers of Jesus. He tells them of their status. He says things like, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's special possession. That you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. That's a really popular verse that comes out of 1 Peter, and the whole thing, the whole reason Peter's even talking about it is because he spends the bulk of this letter trying to remind, assure believers of their salvation. So this is a perfect place for us to pick up tonight as we talk about what it looks like to have assurance of our salvation. 
So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to follow Peter's train of thought in this first chapter. We're going to pick up in verse 3, but really what I want to give you a kind of a roadmap of where we're going. Peter's going to He's going to spend his time talking about two things in the verses that we're going to be studying tonight. The first thing that he is going to talk about is the nature of salvation. Like, what's it like? What, what, what really is it? The nature of salvation. And then he's going to get into the results of salvation. Like, when there is genuine salvation, this is what should come from it. The nature of salvation and the results of salvation. So we're going to start by talking about the nature of salvation. And I think that the reason that Peter starts here with, 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 his, with his case that he's making to these believers is because he wants them to understand salvation. Like he really wants them to get it because the more you understand salvation, the more confidence you can have in it. And I, I think we just have to start there that like maybe one of the reasons that you find yourself doubting your salvation so much is that you really don't understand what salvation is. And it's huge. And that's why Peter starts where he does. Let's, let's start reading in uh, chapter 1, verse 3. I'm just going to read a few verses. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, let's, let's stop right there. Because again, we're, we're looking at the nature of salvation, and Peter just said some pretty wild things. Things that, man, if it's your first time like in any sort of a church environment tonight, things you're probably a little confused about. I mean, he talks about a living hope. He, he talks about a, a resurrection. Uh, he talks about an inheritance. Like, what is he getting at? Well, I'm going to do something tonight that's a little backwards from what you might have previously experienced in church. A lot of times, preachers will, will preach a sermon, and then at the end, they'll kind of give a clear presentation of the good news of Jesus. But what I want to do is I want to start there. Like, if we're talking about the nature of salvation, I want to make sure that nobody gets left behind. Peter's talking about the, these things, a living hope and inheritance, all these things. We need to understand what he's talking about. And the good news of salvation starts all the way back at the very beginning, the first page, the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, where we learn that God created everything. And when God created everything, the Bible tells us that he created everything perfectly, and that humans were in perfect relationship with God. And the reason was because the world at that time was without sin. God created everything perfectly. There was, no, there was no murder. There was no pain. There was no sickness, no disease. Like none of that existed because God's creation was perfect and it existed in perfect relationship with him. However, it didn't take long, maybe about the third page of your Bible, that Adam and Eve... The first humans made the decision to break God's law, to rebel against the creator of the universe who created them. And in that moment, sin came into the world. And sin spread like a poison into the lives of every single person who would ever be born, including you and including me. And the problem with sin is that sin carries with it a punishment. And that punishment is death. 
yeah, like physical death, but actually far worse than that. Sin carries with it the punishment of spiritual death. And that spiritual death is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's, that's the, the penalty that we owe because of our sin. But the good news of the gospel is that God was not okay with us being separated from him forever. Which is why he sent his son Jesus. To take our punishment. I told you the punishment for sin was death. You hear about Jesus dying on a cross. There's meaning to that. That's Jesus taking our punishment. Jesus came. God sent his only son. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, gave his life for us, taking our punishment, but he did not stay dead. See, three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating death, defeating the grave, giving us an opportunity to place our faith in him. And that is salvation. The free gift that we are offered because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And that free gift, it assures us that we will not have to endure the punishment of our sin. Because Jesus took our sin and paid for it himself. If we accept that gift of salvation, we now have the ability not to spend eternity separated from God forever and ever. But to spend eternity with God forever and ever in heaven. That's the offer of salvation. And that's why Peter starts this passage by writing, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, praise God because of what we just said. Because God is so merciful that he would send his only son to pay the penalty that we deserved. Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is something that should produce worship in us. You, you, you might be here for your first time and go like, why in the world are these people? I walk into this place, I didn't even know I was coming tonight, and there are people singing and throwing hands up, and to be honest, it's making me a little uncomfortable. We do that because we're excited about the fact that our life has been changed forever by the power of the gospel. But Peter continues to write, he says, according to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, this is a pretty interesting statement that he makes here. He's emphasizing something. And the truth that he is emphasizing is like the number one tool, one of the number one tools in your tool belt when it comes to extinguishing doubt as to whether or not you have saving faith. The emphasis that Peter is placing here uh, or making here in this passage is he's saying, I mean, look at some of the words. It talks about being born again. It talks about the mercy of God, that God has caused us to be born again. Those are, those are all words that show us that salvation, saving faith, is not something that's up to us. Like, in other words, we're not in charge of our salvation, does that make sense? Salvation is something that is offered by Jesus, earned by Jesus, and secured by Jesus. Salvation is not something that is earned by us. Salvation is not something that, that we have to uh, do for ourselves. It's something that Jesus has done for us. It's something that's offered by Jesus, earned by Jesus, and secured by Jesus. You don't have to do anything to earn it, and you don't have to do anything to keep it. And that is incredible news. When it comes to doubt, 
I wonder if a lot of people don't struggle with doubting their salvation because they have this mentality that salvation is up to them. Like they think that it's something that they have to earn. They think that it's based on performance. And and here's the thing. If salvation was based on your performance, you have every reason to doubt, right? Because we fall short of the glory of God each and every day. I mean, that that is so true. So when it comes to doubting your salvation, man, I, I wonder... If doubt's creeping in because you think it's all up to you and it's not. But what's it up to? Like, like what is then the cause, the sustainer of our salvation? Well, we already talked about it's Jesus. But more specifically, it's what Jesus did for us. It's what we just talked about. Look at that verse. It says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through what? The resurrection. That's what our salvation hinges on, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This verse is not up on the screens, uh, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, it literally says, if Christ has not been raised, then preaching, like what I'm doing right now, is in vain. And it says your faith is in vain if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Everything about salvation hinges not on what you do but on what Jesus has already done for you. And this is why we say that we have a living hope. Because no longer do we have to place our hope in dead things, in things that are passing away, in things of this world, but we have a living hope in Jesus who conquered death in the grave. He is not something that's passing away. He is something that is eternal and will last forever. And that's the incredible truth of salvation, that it is not up to us, but it's up to what Jesus has done for us. We keep on reading it, and Peter goes, he says, not only uh, is salvation, uh, not only has God caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he goes on to say, to inherit, or to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Talking about the nature of salvation, like we just established that salvation is not dependent on you. And because salvation is not dependent on you, because you can't do anything to earn it, you also can't do anything to lose it. You can't do anything to lose your salvation once you've placed your faith in Jesus. And that's why Peter refers here to salvation as an inheritance. An inheritance. We don't really use like inheritance language anymore, but it's prevalent all throughout Scripture. Like literally the story of Scripture is based on an inheritance from God to his people. And so, I mean, it is strong language. It's a promise. But here's the thing about inheritance, right? You get inheritance by being a part of the family. And you don't really, there, there is no way to undo your status as a part of the family, right? Like if the, the family that you were born into, whoever mom and dad is, whatever your last name is, like there is no way to undo that. There's no way. You, you cannot like hit backspace on that part of your life. Even if you were like disowned by mom and dad, DNA tests will tell the truth. Your family is your family. And in the same way, your family 
the, the family of God. There is no way to undo that relationship once it has been established. Now, here's the thing, though. When we're talking about inheritance, you get an inheritance, like I said, if you're a part of the family. You don't get an inheritance by pretending to be a part of the family. You don't even get an inheritance for trying to look like a part of the family. You don't get inheritance uh, for, for just hanging out around a lot of family gatherings, right? Inheritance means being a part of the family. And in our case, the family of Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing about this is that the invitation to be a part of the family of God, it extends to every single person on the planet. Like there is literally not a single person uh, on this planet that this invitation is not extended to. It's incredible news. Literally, uh, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been running, no, no matter like where you find yourself tonight, no matter if, you're, if you feel like, man, I got to clean myself up first, that does not matter. The invitation is extended to you. Literally, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, not, not once we had gotten all cleaned up and sinless, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're here tonight and, and you're, you're at a place where you're like, no, there, there's no way that that invitation is on the table to me, Scripture is clear. It's for every single person on the planet. And once you're a part of the family, you'll never not be a part of the family. The question is, how do we become a part of the family? Well, Peter answers that for us. He continues to write. He says, our inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So that gives us some information about how we can join the family, how we can be a part of the family. And if you picked up on it, it says, through faith, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. The way into the family, the way to accept God's gift of salvation to us is through faith. It is through faith. And, and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, they echo this. It talks about how salvation is a gift of God. That we've been given salvation by grace through faith. That's how we've been saved. And it's not your own doing. It's a work of Christ. See, without even realizing it, I think we forget that. I think we forget that salvation comes through faith. And I think that we look to things outside of our faith to try to gain assurance of our salvation. And that's where we get off. That, that's where we get confused. That's where we get messed up. That we look to things outside of just our faith. That's all scripture says that it's, requ that it's required of us. We, but we look to things like our, our prayer. Like, man, did I mean that prayer when I prayed it? We look to things like our emotion. Like, or maybe we look to a conversation that we had with some pastor or, or a friend, whatever it might be. We look to things outside of our faith to verify our salvation. And scripture says the only thing that you need for genuine salvation is faith. It's through faith. I told you guys when I was little that I responded to that invitation at my church and that it just started this cycle in my life. 
And, and that cycle was this, you know, again, it started that day when I was four, a couple years down the road, I, I basically go, you know, I don't think I meant that back then. And I was right. I didn't understand what I was doing. And so I was like, I need to get my salvation right. And so I did the same thing. Went down, responded to an invitation, went through the motions, you know, there we go. Back to the baptism, the the pool in the church, all that. And uh, after, you know, it wasn't long, a few more months, a few more years, whatever it was, find myself doing the same thing. Then a a few months, a few years down the road, you know, something might happen. Maybe it's like I go to a, a death of a family member, funeral, something like that. I get all introspective and I'm like, I don't know that I have my salvation in the right place. And it's just this constant cycle of going, did I really mean it? And the problem when we do that is we're looking at the wrong place or we're looking in the wrong place. See, scripture is clear that salvation is not earned by emotion. It's not earned by a prayer. It's not even earned by the conversation you have with, with whoever's leading you to Christ. It's It comes through faith. When it comes to faith, each and every one of you today, when you walked into this room, you you exercised faith. You're doing it right now. Each and every one of you guys, whenever you walked into this room, you found a chair. And you made the decision to place your faith in that chair that you are sitting in right now, right? So when it comes to, to, to your chair and placing faith in that chair, I think this is, a, this is a goofy but perfect illustration for this. My faith in the chair does not become real until I place my weight in it. Like until I make the decision to actually sit down. And when I do that, like I can look at the chair and I can believe that it will hold me. But my belief does not become faith until I sit down. Right? Like my belief does not come, become faith until I actually make the decision to sit down. Very similarly, salvation is believing that when Jesus died on the cross, that that counted for you. It is believing that Jesus was raised to life and defeated death, but belief is not faith until you place your trust in it, until you surrender to his lordship. And, and see, just like with your chair, like you can only be in one of two postures tonight for, with your chair, right? You can either be totally placing all of your faith in it, or you can place none of your faith in it. Like, it, like it's one or the other, and it's the same way with your salvation. So in order for you to place your faith in Christ, there has to be a point at which you transfer authority in your life from your own self to Jesus and his lordship. Where your confidence in getting to heaven, it gets taken off of all these things like doing good things in life. Whatever it was that you were placing your trust in and that you transfer your trust into Jesus and his gift of salvation to you. That is faith. It's a transfer of trust. So many people though today, y'all, they see salvation not as a transfer of trust, but as a prayer that you pray. They think it's a prayer that saves them. They think it's like magic words or, or a spell that you cast or, or whatever it is. And that is not at all what faith is. I mean, it literally, just like with the chair, you could walk up to your chair and you could be like, man, I trust you. you are, you're going to be my personal chair. I, 
I cannot wait to place my faith in you. And if you never make the decision to sit in it, you're not placing your faith in it. Does that make sense? That's what faith looks like. It's a transfer of trust. So Peter's clear on the nature of salvation. He gives us this picture of what salvation is, but he doesn't stop by by sharing with us the nature of salvation. He actually starts to go into what salvation should produce. He begins to talk about the results of salvation. The results of salvation. Now, I have a way that I want to teach this to all of you. I want to show you why... um, why Peter makes the decision to jump into the results of salvation. And um, I want to illustrate it like this. So here I have some seeds. And I've been thinking about the right way to do this, and I just don't know. So y'all just bear with me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put some seeds in the hand of the first few people in the audience. And y'all just take some and pass them back. And as they make their way back, I want you guys to... uh, to tell me what kind of seeds are these? Like, like what, if we planted, the, like, you know, what is the, I don't want to have feedback. There you go. Let's start working their way back. I don't know how far forward I can walk, but I'll try to help the process go a little faster. There you are. Y'all just take one and pass it down. Didn't think we'd be doing this tonight, did you? There you go. Just, woo. All right, they'll eventually make it back. I mean, you are just examining them things. <laughs> All right, so we'll give it a little more time. I think I can walk a little further. All right, here you go. I got, oh, wow, they're making it far. There you go. There's some. Have fun with those. There you go. All right, so if you have not seen the seeds just yet, they will eventually make their way back to you, but I want to hear, yeah, it's going to get there, VJ, I'm sorry. You chose to sit there. Hey, listen, so from those of you who have have seen them already, any guesses? Cocoa, mustard, that's a very spiritual answer, beautiful. (laughs) Any other guesses? What What kind of seeds? We have cocoa and mustard. It's neither of them. What kind of seed is it? You can shout it out. It's okay. All right. What kind? Redwood. Okay. All right. What kind of seeds? I've never like just joined you guys before. This is so fun. A tree. Okay. No, it's not a tree. A flower. We're just getting very broad. All right, hey, let me tell you guys what kind of seed this is. You're going to laugh when I, when I show you this. I said, Anne-Marie, if you, if you wouldn't mind, just grab me a seed and whatever that seed produces. And she chose beets, bears, Battlestar Galactica. So, if at this point you have not received the seed, you'll, you'll know what it is. Um, my hope is that now 
Dahlonega will become just the beat capital of Georgia. So you just take that thing, dig a hole, plan it, and let's just see what happens. Hey, listen, listen. I want to tell you guys, I want to tell you guys the reason that we did that. Because I don't know who's in this audience. Like, I mean, I know some of you, but I don't know, like, what your, what your background is. I don't know what your, what your major is. I mean, there could be some biology majors in here. There could be some plant people in here, like some just botanists that are just ready to, to take, you know, take the, the world of botany over. Like, there might just be some people who, who, who know this kind of stuff. Apparently, you're not here because, you know, you didn't get it right, but... Here's the thing. No matter how confident you were when you saw that little seed in your hand, there is no way that anybody in here, no matter how much you know about plants and seeds and whatever, there is no way to know what kind of seed it is until you plant it and until you see the result that comes from it. When it comes to your salvation... There is, there's really no way, I mean, you can, you can have assurance of salvation by, by looking at the things that we talked about, but if you want 100% confidence, I'll give you a very easy place to look. Look at the results. Like, give it some time after that seed's been planted, after it's been watered, and watch it grow and see what the results are. The results always tell the story. And according to Peter... One of the primary results that you can look for when it comes to salvation is perseverance. Perseverance. Read with me in verse 6. Peter writes in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith... More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I told you guys at the beginning of of our talk here that the believers that Peter was writing to were in the middle of undergoing persecution for their faith. And Peter's charge to them in these verses is, he he says, because of your salvation, because you have saving faith, you're followers of Jesus, your response to this difficulty that you're facing is to persevere. Like, and it's not something that comes from your own strength. You can persevere because you've been saved by the grace of Jesus. Like, you've been given a new future. Remember, you have a living hope. Your hope is not found in the things that you can see with your eyes. Your hope is not found in your current circumstances. It's found in your future. It's found in the fact that, yet things might happen to me here on earth, and they might really be painful, but I know that I have a future hope in Jesus. Peter says, if you have genuine salvation, you can persevere no matter what difficulty you face. It could be death. It could be sickness, it could be evil, it could be anxiety or depression, but we have this hope. Like we, we have read to the end of the story, and literally the end of the story, in the very last chapter of the very last book of the Bible, we read this truth. 
this promise that, that believers have, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Believers have that hope. The result of salvation is that when you face difficulty in life, you persevere. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you don't feel pain. It doesn't mean that you don't experience grief and hardship and difficulty. It doesn't even mean that you're not frustrated at God and that you, you don't come to moments where you don't even know what to do. But believers persevere. We have this hope. So when it comes to doubting your salvation, an easy diagnostic is to look at the results. How do you handle hardship? Like, do you always get to the place where, yeah, you might go through pain in the moment. Literally, Peter equates it to, like, gold being refined by fire. You might go through difficulty, but how do you, where do you end up? Do you turn your back on Jesus and, and go, no, nah, there's no way I can believe in a God like that? Or do you find yourself back at his feet, trusting in the hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. What does it look like for you? You know, perseverance doesn't just look like when your faith gets difficult. It doesn't just look like uh, when, when you're faced with affliction and pain in life. I think another way to, to test to, to the, the question as to whether or not you really do have saving faith is to look at how you persevere, not just through difficulty, but how you persevere through temptation. How do you persevere through temptation? See, here's what, here's what we know about genuine faith. If according to Peter, genuine saving faith is something that perseveres, here's what that means. It, it means that genuine faith does not look like a one week, one month, one year spiritual high followed by a life of unrepentant sin. That is not saving faith. That is at the core, that is not what saving faith is. And I've found that it is becoming more and more common to find people who cling to some sort of emotional moment in their past for salvation and then live however they want to under the banner of once saved, always saved. Like that is becoming very common today in our culture of college students. And that is not saving faith. Yeah, it's true. Once saved, always saved. But it's also true. Once saved, forever following. Because that's what genuine faith is. Genuine faith, again, is taking your trust and transferring it into the hands of Jesus. Once saved, always saved. But once saved, forever following. Now, the question is, you're probably wondering, well, does this mean that, like, I can't drift away for it? Like, like I've been through times in my life where, where I've made mistakes, where, where I've fallen away. And, yeah, absolutely, 
that it does not mean that when you, you, you start to fall into sin, that, that your salvation is no longer a thing. Absolutely, that is not what that means. But here's what it does mean. It means that no matter what that season looks like, again, perseverance, we always end up back in that same posture. That we, all, we might stand up from the chair uh, for, for a moment, for a, for a little while, but we always, at the end of the day, end up assuming that same posture of faith. I mean, that was my story. When, when I got into high school, I made the decision to drift. Like, I, I turned my back on my faith. It did not mean that I lost my salvation in that moment. But I know that because I can see my, my current status now. I see where I am now, and I know that now I've placed my faith in Jesus. I have assurance in that, and that those results paint the picture very clearly. I mean, I'm telling you, it is so easy to get to the place where we doubt. It is so easy, but our God is so good, y'all. That even, even when we're in those seasons of backsliding, even when we're in those seasons of drifting further and further away from him. I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Because I've literally been him. Like, like I've literally been in that time where I have taken the good gifts from my heavenly father. And I have used them for my own personal gain. And despite all of that, the moment that I was ready to come back home, Jesus was there and he was ready to meet me. And that same thing is true of you. Just because you've wandered does not mean that you no longer, A, have a saving faith, and it does not mean that Jesus is not there ready to meet you if you don't. One of the signs of saving faith is that while we might all stand up from that chair for a season of life, we always go back and assume the same posture. I, I want to finish, well, I want to invite the band up and I want to finish reading this, this passage that we've been studying tonight. Read with me in verses 8 and 9. It says, Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you are a son of or a daughter of the king, this is what you have to look forward to. This is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Eternity with Jesus in heaven forever and ever. That is the outcome of placing your faith in Jesus, according to Peter. Let me read these next verses. I think this is the coolest, this is the coolest thing ever. It says, concerning this salvation that we just talked about, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Check this out. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced. In other words, the things that have now been announced is the good news of the gospel. In the things that have now been announced to you through these who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Like scripture says that the angels in heaven long to be 
in your shoes. That, yeah, they, they get to experience Jesus all the time. They, they get to sit in heaven with him. But literally, they long to be in your position with the opportunity to experience redemption and grace and mercy and salvation that comes through Jesus. Angels long to be in your shoes. They, they long to have the ability to make that decision. They marvel at the fact that we have the choice to know Jesus. And that choice is on the table for you tonight. Man, I don't know how you came into this room. I don't know if you came into this room with no doubts that you had no relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you came into this room going, well, I think I do, but, but I'm not really sure. Maybe you came into this room and, and you came in with confidence, but maybe the Holy Spirit or, ha, has shown you some things tonight that have caused you to go, wait a second, that thing that I thought was salvation, that I was putting my faith in, that, w- that was not genuine saving faith. Maybe that's you tonight. Well, wherever you're at, you're sitting in a seat that angels in heaven literally long to be in. The opportunity to make the decision to follow Jesus, the best decision you can ever make in your entire life. And y'all, I've been praying for tonight. I am so confident that there are people in here who, who, man, maybe it's your first time. Maybe you have been coming since the conception of Revive. But tonight is the night that the Holy Spirit has moved in your heart and caused you to see that this, this, this salvation thing, it is not in the place that it needs to be. And, and I do not want a single person in here to leave this room tonight without making sure that they have assurance because you, you certainly can leave this room with 100% certainty that you have given your life to Jesus and that you'll spend eternity in heaven with him one day. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to all bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around. No one distracting. And I want to ask you to do something bold. If you tonight have never made the decision for yourself, not not for a friend, not for your family, but if you tonight have never made the decision for yourself to experience true saving faith, to follow Jesus with your life, to transfer your trust into him, I want to ask, we're not going to like point you out, we're not going to do anything crazy, I just want to ask that you would slip your hand up in the air. That you would slip your hand up in the air, nice and high, so that we can see it, no one looking around, Awesome. Multiple hands up. Go ahead, nice and high. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, listen, the band's about to play. And I'm going to ask you, when we all stand, to do something even bolder. I'm going to ask you to slip to the back of the room. We've asked our small group leaders, some, some people that would love to have a conversation with you. We have asked them uh, to sit in the back of the room tonight at the base of our Big Revive banner. And they would love to have a conversation with you 
to help you understand what taking that next step in trusting Jesus looks like. Y'all, listen to me. Do not leave this room without having a conversation with someone so that they can help you navigate this season of your life and help you take that next step. So I want to invite everybody to stand. Those of you who just raised your hand, don't worry. You'll blend right in with all the people who are about to make the rush to the restrooms. I know this is a weird space. I know I'm asking you to do something that puts you out of your comfort zone. But I want you to know that the decision that you're making is the most important decision you can ever make in your entire life. So I'm going to pray and I want you to move. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you for, for all that you do for us, for the way that you, that you love us, the, the mercy that you have shown us in sending your son. We praise you, we honor you, and we ask, Lord, that you would give courage to those who have made decisions tonight. Lord, hands up all over the room. I pray that you would give them the courage to move. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for salvation. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.